Hello everyone and welcome back to Thickcast. I am joined today by the lovely Holly Davidge. Hello Holly. Hello there, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Um, do you want to give everyone a little bit of an introduction into who you are? Oh God, whenever I get asked this question, it never gets any easier. I have this like jumble in my head. Um, so if you don't know me, my name is Holly Davidge. I am an online physique coach as well as the head of exercise mechanics at the Physique Collective. I am a bikini competitor. I have just completed my third season. So I've been, been competing since 2018 um, and I'm now in my off season. Um, I'm also a scientist, so I work full time in clinical trials as well. Uh, so I do manage my time very well. I like to call myself Hannah Montana because I feel like I have the best of both worlds in a way. Excuse <laughs> the pun. Um, because I still have like a normal quote unquote nine to five job, which keeps me kind of relevant and relating to normal people but then in the evening and at the weekends I kind of make the most of being a bikini competitor a coach a mentor all that kind of thing so that is basically me in a nutshell and how do you find you like find time like to fit all of this in because like when I was working full-time like I just couldn't do it and I'm not very organized I will say that way (laughs) well I am lucky in a way that I work from home the majority of the time so I do travel because I have sites all over the UK in terms of hospitals um but mostly I'm based from home so I don't have to commute every day I can literally if I'm starting my my work at eight o'clock that means I start and open my laptop at eight o'clock um but if I get up at seven or six I have one or two hours before that to do my side hustle or you know check in with clients and do work like that I maximize my weekends. Um, so if I need to do any filming, I do all my check-ins at the weekends. If I need to go to any shows or events or anything like that, that's where I maximize my time there. And obviously the evenings, once I get back from the gym, uh, because I live on my own at the moment, I don't really know how to relax. And that's something that I'm trying to work on as well, because I think in a way it does end up being kind of productive, not taking any time off. But yeah. I struggle to switch off and do nothing when there's no one around. I just kind of keep trucking on. Uh, so that's something I am working on. Uh, but for the moment, because I suppose it's hard as well, because our job is also what we love. Like we're passionate yeah. about it. So it's not that we're, we get to the end of the day and we're like, oh, thank God that's over. Like we love discussing training and competing and nutrition and bodybuilding and competing. Like it's just fun for us. Um, So it is hard to switch off. But I do try and have my activities that are kind of, shutting my brain off and winding me down like I'm getting really into reading now last year I read 25 books and this year I want to read 35 but I've already read like eight so I'd love to read like a book a week I think that'd be a really good skill a good uh aim and goal to have sorry no I struggle with with that though is so I don't read books because I I'm quite dyslexic so for me I can read like I'm not stupid but for me, I'm much better listening to books and I just yeah. in and I can immerse myself into it a lot better. So I used Audible for quite a while. Um, but you know what I struggled with is finding enough books to read that I could get into that interested me. Because yeah, I think it is, you need to look in the right places. So first of all, if you're kind of completely, you have no idea where to start, like the New York Times bestsellers list is always a good option. Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of Instagram accounts. Um, now, if I go onto my Explore page on Instagram, there are a lot of posts that are kind of targeted towards book readers, say my top five uh, romances or my top five comedies or things like that. Uh, TikTok, book, book TikTok is really good. You'll often see on Amazon or on Kindle, it will say as seen on TikTok just to kind of get the person to yeah. buy it um and just word of mouth um just talking to other people what they read like often when I put up a question box about what books would you recommend I get some answers or I will share what I recommend um which I think is helpful but I think you just need to start and get into it another good way is if you're in the airport and you're at a WH Smith they usually have quite a small selection of books so the ones that are there are usually the ones that are well known sorry they have like a little numbered thing it's like top book second player yeah so they usually have just bestsellers there so they're usually a good bet yeah, that's true, actually. Maybe I need to get back that way because I just listen to a lot of podcasts at the moment, to be honest. I listen to podcasts all day long because I, I work from home. I like having, like, company. So I feel like people are yeah. chatting to me if I have someone. So I just listen to everything and anything. Like, I've gotten a lot more into non-bodybuilding podcasts as well, like book-related. There's one I just started listening to called If Books Could Kill. And it's basically about airport bestsellers and, like, kind of, picking them apart and deciphering them and kind of looking at the pros and cons of them and I love 
scrutinizing and analyzing things so it kind of really appeals to that side of me um mm. because I just read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell which was recommended to me by James Elliott who I'm working with at the moment um and then I read it and then I listened to the podcast on it where they completely pick it apart and just criticize it which I think is really interesting to see that side of things as well yeah that's quite cool actually because I'm the same as you I work from home and it is very much like when I'm at home I'm like it's really quiet so mm. I get the podcast on and actually I think it's really nice to have that you know when you're working in bodybuilding when your spare time is like training and stuff as well it's nice to have listen to podcasts which are away from bodybuilding as well I yeah. really love help I, I think I said this to you the other day it's called help I sexed my boss and it's Jordan North and William Hansen and it's amazing like it's so funny it just cracks me up I mean some of the stuff in there though it's um I, I wouldn't even know how to explain it. <laughs> I'm glad for life from some of it. But it's funny and I like that. Yeah. So it's kind of, we'll steer ourselves back onto um, about you really. So like competing history and stuff. So you said this, you just finished your third season. Yes. So talk to me about like where you've kind of gone with it. Where did you start? Where are you heading towards now? Okay, I'll give you a brief overview of how I got into the industry because I think it is quite interesting. Um, so Growing up, I was always the chubby one, the overweight one. I was never good at any sports in school. I was always more academic. So I kind of threw myself into my studies and always aimed to be the top of the class because I wasn't good at sports. So I kind of overcompensated in other ways. Um, so I never thought I'd really be into fitness or feel good about myself or have a good physique or anything like that. Um, I went through... Uh, periods of Weight Watchers, of Slimming World, of working with dietitians, everything like that. And although I did slim down, um, I never really maintained it. Um, and then I graduated from university in 2016 with my degree. Um, I got offered to work in the University of Cambridge in the Department of Medicine as a research assistant um, in the lab. So I moved there by myself, left my family behind, all my friends, everything started afresh and lived in a house share with one other guy um, who I was trying to make friends with because I had no friends. I had no, I, like I literally would go to work, come home and sit in my bedroom until I went to sleep, get up, go to work, rinse and repeat. I had no hobby or activity and it was quite lonely. Um, so one day he like knocked on my door and he said to me like, oh, a few of my mates are going to the gym. Do you want to come with us? And I said, yeah, yeah, of course. So I never anticipated to go to lose weight or because I didn't like myself or because I, you know, didn't like my body. I literally just went because I wanted a hobby. Um, so I went with him and all the lads showed me, you know, all the bro moves, all the equipment, how they would use it, like all the like wrist curls and all these kind of things. Um, and I just kept going it was pure gym Cambridge um and I thought it was going to be another fad or phase because I've been through so many fads of fitness classes and certain fad diets and slimming world weight watchers but this just stuck um and I think it was because it was the only time I went not because I hated myself it was because I wanted more in my life I wanted to be more fulfilled in my life um, and develop that community and it really was a community there because although it was just a commercial gym um all of Addenbrooke's Hospital, where we all worked, would go there after work. So it's kind of like a social scene. Um, so I started there. I did a bit of like a summer diet with a coach. I had a coach before I even started competing or thinking about competing because that's the kind of person I am is if I want to do something, I want to do it well. Um, and then I kind of started looking around. I went to Body Power. I saw people on stage. It kind of got the itch that way. Um, I started my first prep in 2018 with a coach. I did three shows. I did um, Pure Leash. I did... UKUP and I did PCA then I went into an off season competed the next year in 2019 where I did uh, NBFI which is the natural federation in Ireland Um, I did purely again I did UKDFBA finals and I did WNBF world in New York Um, then I took pretty much three years away which was not intentional I was meant to take 2020 off anyway so it wasn't like you know what related Um, and 2021 I started a prep in a very suboptimal position. Like I made a post about it yesterday. Um, my health was really, really poor. Um, my testosterone was in the gutter. My thyroid hormones were tanked. Um, a very, very emotionally stressful situation. I'm not sure if I told you about it before, but, but a very, very personal issues that were going on in my life. Um, so I ended up turning that diet into just like a photo shoot prep instead of a show prep because it just didn't make sense to continue when my body was fighting me so much and there was so much personal life stress going on. Uh, so I did that and I felt amazing at the shoot. I was really, really happy with it. 
Um, but then I started my next off season with Joe, who's my current coach now, while simultaneously kind of joining the Physique Collective at a similar time. Um, did an off season from October of 2021 till April of 2022. And then I started my most recent prep where I uh, prepped from April till end of August. And then I did my first two bros ever. I did my first NFM ever, my first FedEx ever, because FedEx wasn't around. FedEx and NFM weren't really around the last time I competed. So it was all quite new. Um, and then I did PCA again, where I wanted to redeem myself because when I did PCA the first time, like I did not get a look in. I was tiny. I had no muscle. I didn't even plan to do the show. My coach kind of wanted me to because she wanted more like pretty much exposure for her clients. Um, so uh, I didn't place. So I didn't get a look in. And all I wanted was to get like first call outs or something in that show. And I ended up placing third, which I was delighted about and getting an invite to the finals. Uh, and then I did the finals the following week where I placed sixth. So I still got a trophy. I got top six, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah. And then I've been transitioning into the off season, going through the post show phase, as everyone knows, can be quite challenging, which it definitely was for me. Um and I'm starting to finally feel, okay, I'm off season now. I'm not post-show. I'm not in the transition phase. I'm not in limbo. I am officially off season. So that's kind of me up till now. So something you said about like, and obviously you're not going to go into kind of the whys about it, but you were on a prep and you decided to pull it out and and be a, a kind of um, a photo shoot prep. Um, what advice would you give someone who's kind of thinking like, I'm not sure this is the right thing for me at the moment and thinking about like kind of pulling out and is it the right thing for them to do? Because I know I've been in the same position myself and had to pull out and it's kind of like, it is it is a hard decision because you've kind of got your mindset and your goals, especially nowadays with social media where you're putting it all over social media, I'm going to do this competition and then you're pulling out. What kind of advice would you give someone in kind of like a similar situation? I think the biggest thing that people worry about is what others will think if they tell everyone that they pulled out of prep. And for me, I don't think quitting is a loser mentality. I think you're quitting because you're being intelligent about yourself, your own mental and physical health and your body, because it's your body. Like no one else knows what you're going through physically and mentally at the time. And if you have that gut instinct that's telling you this isn't right, you need to follow that gut instinct. Because at the end of the day, if you push yourself through all of your like if your brain's telling you not to do it your gut instincts telling you not to do it and you're fighting your body every single week you're not going to bring your best to the stage anyway so if you get on stage and you think god I didn't I don't even look how I want to look I didn't enjoy the past few weeks I knew I should have pulled out you're gonna have far more regrets than if you just pulled the plug when you felt it was right because this, like you're always going to have shows like every single year there's more and more shows like we have the uh UK bodybuilding calendar on the compact website and every year it's more and more filled with weekends upon weekends of shows so it's not that if you don't do this one show you'll never compete again you'll just you'll just move the goal post further like I always say that to clients and to myself as well um when I finished prep I was like oh I've lost that goal of competing but I haven't lost the goal just the goal post has moved further away but it's still there I'm still working towards it it's just a bit more delayed than I anticipated which is fine because life happens things get in the way we get curveballs thrown at us and we need to be reactive to that we can't just persevere through when every single stop stop sign is telling us not to do it and we're like oh no this is my original goal I'm going to go for it you know, sometimes things change and, and that's for the better. Um, and there's there's probably a reason why your body's telling you no. Um, and that's how I certainly felt because at the end of 2021, I was so happy with my photo shoot and how it went. But to have got to like stage level of condition, I would have needed an extra like five or six kilos off me. And I'd already been dieting from April to September, like nearly 30 weeks oh, just yeah. to get five to six kilos above stage weight. And every single week my body was fighting me. Um, so it wouldn't have been a wise decision to keep going. I wouldn't have looked to my best. There would have been other girls who had started their off, started their prep in a much better position than me, had way less diet fatigue, had been dieting for less, less long and were feeling more refreshed and they would have got on stage beside me. They would have won. Yeah. Um, and what, what would be the point in that? So I just think you have to go with your gut. You don't have to, I think this is also something you don't have to make a post telling people that you pulled out. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to say, oh, I've let you down. I've let myself down. You don't need to say anything. You can just keep going. That's what I kind of did. I just like, look, this is just a photo shoot prep now. And I just kept going. Still gave my updates every week. Nothing changed. Um, But I was confident in my decision then. And then I knew, okay, right, when that's done, I've got the body fat off. I'm in a really nutritionally responsive state when I'm leaner. Yeah. 
this is going to be a really, really good starting point for my next off season. And then I'm going to compete next year because realistically, if I compete in 21, I wouldn't have competed in 22 because I try to aim for at least a year off in between seasons if I can, uh, just in terms of health and other life things that you want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And I've I got to say, like, I completely agree with you there. And it is, it's, it's listening to your body and just putting yourself first in a way, isn't it? And not what other people might think. Yeah, like I remember when we were at that NFM show early last year when you told me I've pulled out. And when you explained to me, we're like, look, my body isn't responding. I haven't been well. Things aren't going right. I said, yeah, absolutely. That was the right decision. Like there was no point ignoring all those signs and all those signals telling you to stop. Or you just yeah. keep going. Um, and I'm sure you feel that you made the right decision in the end. Oh, absolutely. Like, especially as, because I think we kind of left it thinking like, oh, I'll get better. I'll get better. I'll get better. And now we're like nearly a year down the line and I'm still not better. So it, it was actually like, no, this was completely the right decision to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's times I think like, oh, that's a shame because like, I mean, like you and me would have had a very similar season. I know we'd got quite a few shows planned that would have been the same. So that would have mm-hmm. been nice to compete alongside a friend. Um, but it didn't happen and it's fine. Like, yeah, it wouldn't have been good. I, I wouldn't have made it to the end. I just... I was a mess so it's what it is isn't it and I know that in it hopefully next year the plan is to come back again but we'll see what happens see what doctors say we'll be back next year (laughs) um so kind of you said about joining the physique collective when you started working with joe so you're so you're the head of biomechanics yes right cool yeah what is that like (laughs) like what is it Oh God, this is difficult. So basically it's the study of a combination of anatomy and movement. Um, and when we apply it to physique, it's basically optimizing our use of machines, optimizing our knowledge of anatomy and pairing it all together so we can get the best hypertrophic outcomes or muscle building outcomes in as secure and stable and safe way as possible. Basically, we want to be able to train for as long as we can. So longevity in the sport is very important to us. We do see people in the industry who are injured too soon or, you know, are paralyzed too soon uh, due to dangerous training methods. And we want to kind of mitigate that as much as possible. So getting the best bang for your buck in terms of movement and outcomes in terms of physique development, uh, while also minimizing risk. Um, maximizing joint integrity and health and making sure that we can, you know, run after our kids when we're well into our 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, um, and being healthy grandparents and living life for as long as possible and as healthy a way as possible. So it's kind of a mix of maximal physique outcomes, longevity, health, minimizing risk, ensuring our joints are intact and old age. We don't want to be grinding them to a pulp every single week just to not be able to walk in our 60s. Um, so yeah, it's a combination of all that. That's that's cool. So kind of like as that role, what where does that put you then in your in like your kind of job role that you do? Stuff? I have two kind of roles in the physique collective. So I did come on board as the head of exercise mechanics, but I am also an official coach for the physique collective. So I can get client inquiries for online coaching through the physique collective as well. Uh, but as part of my role for biomechanics originally what we did is we created an exercise library um where we kind of went through all of the movements that we would typically program for our clients obviously a lot of cable work a lot of machine-based work um and I talked through how to set it up the considerations for it how to adapt it based on yourself um and why we would choose this over maybe a dumbbell or a barbell or something like that um when we do need to expand that as well because it's been a year and a half so we need to expand it a bit so that's definitely on the to-do list um but also I've made like a number of content videos like why do we resistance band why do we use resistance bands why do we top band or reverse band things um why we use cuffs you know obviously the recent reel I put up about using cuffs with a d-handle and why that's potentially not really worth doing um so kind of myth busting as well uh because I think it is exciting like biomechanics became trendy in recent years and I think because of that it is um susceptible to myths and fads and things that get uh talked around and rumors that get spread um so kind of to cut through the bullshit 
and to provide the facts and to tell people, okay, this is what you're doing. This is why you're doing it. Um, because I think a lot of people lose sight of the why behind things. They do it because they see it on Instagram and because someone of authority or someone with a larger range of muscle mass does it. But they don't really know why they would do it, why it might be or might be applicable to them and what alternatives they could use. Um, so that's kind of me just giving them the options. And, and my one of my favorite quotes of all time is knowledge is power. Um, so giving them that information and allowing them to come up with their own conclusion about what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing, what's going to be beneficial in terms of hypertrophy, what's going to minimize risk of, you know, joint issues or injury um, and just giving them the power and the knowledge they need to have the best physique outcomes they need to have. Yeah. And just something I want to touch on with what you were saying there is like, just because you see like someone else saying like, this is the best thing doesn't necessarily mean that that is the best thing for you because obviously everyone's body is different. We're all built slightly differently and things like that. So how much does that really affect when you're looking at exercise selection for people? So yeah, yeah. what you touched on there, what we call authority bias is say you go on to an Instagram page and they're doctor something or professor something, they have a PhD, they, you know, have 200,000 followers, something like that. And you all of a sudden think of them as an authority because you see them and you put them on a bit of a pedestal. Um, So what they say turns into gospel. Even if you don't know their source, they haven't cited anyone, you don't know their credentials, you just know, oh, this person looks like they know more than me or they're they're higher up on me than me in the and hierarchy. If they're a doctor, for example, might not even be in that field. Well, we all know GPs know very little about nutrition. And, you know, I've got my bloods done with my GP before and something's been a bit off and she just says, oh, you have to stop training, you can't train anymore. And you'd ask them why and they'd be like, oh, I don't know, that that's just the way it should be. You know, so just because someone is a doctor, as you said, it doesn't mean they're a doctor of nutrition or training or, you know, the body, anatomy, everything like that. Um, And I think doctors themselves get very little nutrition training in their medical degree. Um, And I know that from friends who are are doctors themselves, they kind of have to seek out um, more courses. And I know there are certain doctors that do further nutrition courses with their own money uh, because they don't feel like they've learned enough through university alone. So that is the thing, like, don't believe someone point blank just because they seem to have authority in the industry or they have a million followers or even if they have a six pack and they're in great shape. It doesn't mean that they know well how to get everyone else in shape. They just might have great genetics where it's easy for them to attain it and maintain it. Um, but for other people, it's not the case. Um, so I think it's important to seek out people who have done their homework, who've done their research, ask them their credentials. What courses have you done? What do you read in your spare time? Where do you know all this stuff from? Give me give me evidence, give me examples, give me real world reasoning behind this. Um, I think it's important to empower yourself to ask these questions. Yeah, because a lot of the time it's like, this kind of like trust the process phrase and it's kind of like thrown about a lot. Like, you know, you could... I don't know I'm talking about I imagine me coach here but you go to coach and like oh why are you telling me to do this exercise they're like I'll oh, just trust the process bro yeah awesome thank yeah. you so much and if your coach says that to you multiple times you need to well it's a bit of a red flag isn't it because it probably is them covering up the fact that they don't know why and they know it because maybe their coach told them to do it or they saw it on Instagram and other bros do it so therefore they're assigning it to their clients but if your coach can't can't explain the why behind something, you need to be aware of that because that could be dangerous depending on the practices they're using, depending on what topics we're talking about. Um, it can be risky. So you need to be careful because physique development can be quite a, ris- a risky endeavor and a risky goal uh, where a lot of us um, take chances and do things that maybe need to be monitored as carefully as possible. So you need to be aware that the person that you're investing in and that you trust is trustworthy and does know their stuff and does have your best interests at heart absolutely yeah yeah um so also something you kind of spoke about as well is you use a lot of like cables um and machines over things such as like um free weights so why is that something that you tend to do so when you're using barbells and free weights first of all there's obviously an inherent instability there um, if you're doing a barbell back squat, you're going to have to provide all the stability yourself. You're not in a secure environment. You're in kind of free space and you have to try and manage every single part of your body to maintain stable stabilization while you perform the movement. Whereas, for example, if you put yourself into a hack squat instead, 
it's much more secure you're more, more supported so you're not wasting as much energy just trying to keep yourself in place so you can kind of produce more force through the quads or whatever you're trying to work um, and potentially get more of a hypertrophic benefit and more of a stimulus through the muscles you're trying to train um, without having to worry about all the extra kind of holding yourself in place and stabilizing yourself and providing that security yourself it's kind of done for you externally um so that's one of the reasons you use a machine another it would be um in terms of cables it's a really easy way to manipulate what we call resistance profiles which is basically where a movement is harder versus easier um so essentially we have our own strength profiles which is where we're stronger versus weaker so we want that to match we obviously want the exercise to be hardest when we're strongest and easiest when we're weakest so we call this a full range challenge like a congruent profile and it just means that we're stimulating and fatiguing across the entire rep range uh, or the range of the rep as we can instead of leaving things on the table leaving like gaps in the stimulus um which may not give us kind of the, the most bang for our buck in terms of training uh, so if you want to be efficient with your training you ideally want to create as much of a full range challenge as possible obviously that's not for everyone and it's not all the time it does depend um but that is kind of how we would program that kind of thing um is to manipulate that and also another thing to consider would be like the path of motion of an exercise sometimes with a barbell we're in quite a fixed position and we're not really able to manipulate the path in which we move um whereas with the machine we can kind of more optimize that especially with cables we're kind of up to our own devices there and we can kind of move freely with that um also things in terms of like free wrist rotation which is why we would use like a d-handle row instead of like a barbell row because barbell rows are very fixed your wrist is in a very fixed position it's not necessarily the most healthy in terms of joint integrity um so there are kind of various reasons we would um but mainly in terms of i'd say path of motion and resistance profiles would be the reason why we would choose machines yeah. and cables over uh, barbells and dumbbells um and just just skill requirement as well like if you're a beginner i would 100 put you into machines over free weights because the amount of skill you need to stabilize yourself to get yourself into position to hold that position to make sure there's no compensation from other body parts um that are kicking in to try and help you because your body by definition is just going to find the most efficient way of doing things which usually means it's going to cheat in some way because it doesn't want that muscles to do all the work it wants everything else to kick in and help out so it's not hard um so your body will inherently try and make it easier for you and you need to fight that and make sure that you are making it as hard as possible because that's what hypertrophy is um it's kind of the opposite to powerlifting because in powerlifting, they want to move away from A to B in the easiest, most straightforward way possible so they can lift as much as possible. Whereas we're trying to move away from A to B in the hardest way possible. We want to squeeze as much stimulus as possible out of that, which is like the opposite of what a powerlifter would want to do. Um, so, yeah. So when you're talking about all of this, I'm guessing this is pretty much all then from a bodybuilding hypertrophy standpoint, not so much then sort of when you're talking about like powerlifting, strongman, those kind of other types of training methods would be like what you're talking about is more is always going to be more hypertrophy that so means, obviously like you can't ignore like biomechanics exists it's a, it's a thing that exists yeah. where, no matter whether you know about it or not it's in powerlifting it's in olympic weightlifting it's in whatever any kind of sport um but the reason we would want to optimize it is because we want to get the most bang per buck in terms of stimulus and contraction through the muscle and internal focus um another thing that we would be quite um interested in is like range of motion and active range of motion um so active range of motion is kind of the range that you can go through yourself on your own and a passive range of motion is the range you go through if there's like a external force applied to you so if you think about a leg press if you have nothing on your legs, you might be able to get this way. But if you have a heavy leg press coming down on you, you might be able to stretch even further back. Some people think you need to go there because you can. I tend to not always agree with that. Um, whereas with powerlifting, you have to achieve a given range of motion. It doesn't matter whether it's healthy, whether it's safe, whether it's um, an active or passive range of motion. Because the powerlifting rules state that you need to hit your bar's chest or a certain level of a squat depth or something like that, you kind of have to ignore it. Um, so yeah, you kind of have to be aware of these things in those kind of exercises, but at times you you need to ignore them because for you, the outcome is more important than minimizing those risks, if you get me. Yeah, absolutely. Because that was kind of like where my next question was going to go anyway. 
was this whole like full range of motion mm-hmm. is it possible for every individual to necessarily reach that you know the leg press people say like you want to get your knees right by your ears and you squat you want your bum by your ankles and all of that is that actually possible for every person so the first thing I would say is that full range of motion is an arbitrary concept and definition. Like there is no one size fits all definition for a full range of motion. Like think of someone with really, really long femurs compared to someone with really short femurs. Like they're not going to be able to have the same squat depth. Um, so it's going to completely depend on the person. Um, I would say it's going a bit like religious and cult-like in terms yeah, of the like hashtag team full ROM. Um, and it can be quite dangerous because I've seen videos of people performing a leg press and getting literally their knees to their ears, tagging people saying, is this deep enough, bro? Um, and like their their full sacrum and lower back is lifting off the seat, which can cause kind of injuries and niggles there. Um, and it's a toss up because although you might be able to get an extra 1% more stimulus through the muscle, is it really worth it if you're going to be sacrificing other parts and other injuries and other other issues around that um I would argue it's probably best to play it safe and to not do that um yeah. yeah it is it's an arbitrary concept that does grind my gears a bit because biomechanics is so specific to the individual and personal to the individual that you can't just say everyone should do full ROM because you don't know what that full ROM is for that person and do you mean full active ROM because maybe yes some people should do full active ROM because they can get there so Maybe they should go there. Um, but if you have like outside structures, like a heavy leg press or something like that pushing you down, do you really need to go there? Especially if you're just going to be impacting your passive tissues. So passive tissues are things like your connective tissue, your ligaments, your joints or your ligaments and tendons. And they don't necessarily need to be worked. Like if you're getting into a point of a, of a range of motion where you're no longer having any kind of activity on the muscle and it's all going on the connective tissue, that's not healthy either. So you need to preserve the integrity of everything surrounding the muscle and not just the muscle itself. Um, so yeah, it's a very nuanced subject and something that you cannot give a full 100% answer for. Uh, so that's why I try to just educate about the facts. No, but that was a really good answer because I mean... I've been in the fitness industry a long time and you see a lot of people like, oh yeah, but that's not full range of motion, bro. And like all of this and you're like, yeah, but if I do that, like for me, I can't squat like my bum to the floor. Like, I can't do it. My hips very, I don't really know what's going on there. But for me, that just causes massive, massive injuries. And then you get people like almost like having a go at you and you're like, but that that's never going to work for me. Mm-hmm. That's just going to cause me injury. And then I can't walk. So mm-hmm. for me, like what is the point of me doing that and like you yeah. said actually there would be no point in me doing that no so yeah. people is- like I've seen people who try and go full ROM and they end up changing the exercise uh so for example they do a squat and they go completely ass to grass when they really shouldn't they actually change the profile of the exercise and it drops off the bottom making it really easy at the bottom so all that extra range that they've got that they're all like proud of themselves for and chuffed about there really isn't much challenge down there anyway because they curve their spine, they drop inwards and then there's nothing actually being challenged there. Um, So I think it's a bit of, you know, people just boasting and trying to shout louder and trying to be like the best. And, you know, it, it's always competitive and rivalry in the industry, isn't it? So uh, it's pretty much like different camps. Like I was saying the other day, like people have these little camps that they like to sit in and mm-hmm. it's like, you have to be part of this camp or you have to be part of that camp. It's like, you not just go with what well, it's like the the failure versus reps and reserve camps like why yeah. do we have to be one or the other why can't we be both why can't we be a mixture I don't know why we have to be separate yeah because as well it's you know that there's a lot of different things it's it, it might not necessarily be like training you might find okay x works slightly better than y okay cool but y really helps my mental health it mm-hmm. um for me I find it more enjoyable I can stick to it better you know, so actually in those ways, okay, it might be slightly better for muscle growth, but actually I enjoy it a lot more. So therefore that that's going to be better for me. So talking about, because I did have this somewhere, the reps and reserve and training to failure, like what's kind of your thoughts on that and why might one potentially be better than the other or worse than the other or the kind of the differences between it? 
So first of all, they're not two separate things because failure is zero reps in reserve. So it technically is reps in reserve. Uh, so when people say like, oh, I don't train reps in reserve. It's like, well, technically you do. Um, also, another thing is that people always think they train to failure, but they don't. Sorry. Like, there's just no way. Like people think, oh, I'm pushing to failure. I'm pushing to failure. And you look at their training clip. You're like, you definitely had another one or two in there. That's one to two reps in reserve. So therefore you are training reps to reps in reserve. <laughs> I think a lot of people have a fear that they can't gauge their reps and reserve properly. And obviously, like maybe initially that's the case, but that's a skill that you learn over time. Uh, and you that's kind of trial and error. Um, but in terms of reps and reserve training and, and utilizing it, not just like training reps and reserve, but utilizing it intelligently in a periodized program. So manipulating it as a tool, like we would reps, like we would anything like load. Um, for me, it gives an extra factor to progress week on week. Um, because for people like us who've been training a number of years, we're small females, we're not going to be able to add to the load to the bar every single week. We just can't. It just gets to a point where that's not feasible. So by manipulating reps and reserve, you're still able to progress um, without having to add load every single week because that not, might not be feasible for you. Um, it's also a really good way for mitigating any kind of joint injuries because if you're smashing you know, failure, failure, failure every single week. Your joints are not going to thank you. They're going to be pulverized. Um, and you're just going to walk around with aches and pains and niggles all the time. Because if you know how hard you have to push for that last rep to get to failure every single time, it's just not kind on the body. Um, and you will get a kickback from it later in life. And it is going to affect you, affect you down the line, having to push that hard and kind of put your body through that. And it is a trauma, like putting your body through that trauma every single set, every single exercise, every single day, every single week, it adds up. It's like compounded over time and you won't see it now. We might see it in 20 years down the line when people who were intelligently using reps and reserve don't have those niggles and are able to walk fine. They're still training the same. You'll probably have to adapt and you won't be able to do your favorite movements anymore because they're killing you and you have lower back pain, you've shoulder pain, you've aches and niggles and everything like that. Um, which I personally want to avoid. But not only that, we've seen time and time again in the research that it's not actually necessary to train to failure, that you can train between one to three reps in reserve and still be within your right to stimulate your muscle enough to achieve hypertrophy. So if you don't need to go there, why would you go there and potentially risk damaging yourself and injuring yourself and stopping your training years earlier than you want to? Um, and the only reason I can think of is the cult-like mentality and that mindset of I am hardcore, I am going to war, I am trained to failure, you know, um, in the trenches yeah, yeah. mindset. Oh, I'm that is the only way I can think of it. it. It's just, yeah, it's just those people who have that emotional attachment to training where they feel like if they're not training to failure, hardcore, in the trenches every single session that they don't want it enough and that they don't they're not passionate enough about it and I think that's why some people find me intimidating at times because I'm okay from detaching myself from that and that's not an issue for me um, and I often whenever I post videos about reps and reserve training and the benefits of it I get like messages and dms telling me oh but you I can't do that because I have to be passionate about my training you know training is all about emotion and passion and it's like well it's actually not and as soon as you remove your emotion from it it becomes more of a scientific process and a mechanism that when you just tick the boxes and remove how you feel emotionally from it is actually easier to achieve at the end of the day um, and you're not walking away from your sessions like mentally and physically battered because I used to go into sessions when I used to try and aim to train to failure I would go into my sessions with anxiety with fear I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. I was thinking about it all day, not wanting to do it. And then afterwards, I walk out hobbling. And that's not a way you want to live every single day. And it's definitely not a way I want to kind of go into my 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s if I still want to be able to train and then leave myself, you know, not able to do the, exercise, do the exercises that I once want, was able to do. Um, so in, to me, it's just an intelligent use of a factor that we can manipulate in order to get the best outcomes and minimize risk. So as long as you take the trade team reps reserve team failure out of it and put it all on the table as facts, remove the emotion, then you'll be able to have a discussion with someone about it. But until that's done, it's impossible to argue with the opponent. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I honestly find it mad when you listen to people that like, do you get anxiety before the leg? I'm like, I just, <laughs> so I just go and I train. 
yeah. and like I've never had like I mean I I'd say I I've had times when I've always trained to failure I've had times when I trained and like left some in the tank I say failure but like we said like was I going to complete absolute failure I don't know but I've never felt anxiety from it and I think like god like would I actually enjoy training if I went and feeling like really anxious all the time Mm. I don't think I would I think I just wouldn't want to train yeah and like also a lot of people think that people reps and reserve just don't train to failure but if you get to the last week of your mesocycle which I will have to do and I did last week and you have five sets of failure hacks on your program that's not easy and you're it's it's tough going challenging to do and they think oh you know they're pansies they don't train to failure they don't work hard but we have to do five sometimes six sets to failure on our last week of a mesocycle that is enduring and that is tough um so and also what we do is we kind of have a set progression scheme outlined for us so instead of just saying just go in train to failure try and get better every week we would say okay next week you're gonna drop a rep and reserve so you're going to go from three reps and reserve to two reps and reserve and you're going to add a rep and we have that outlined in the program so it just takes the guesswork away it takes the stress away because you know how you should be progressing you know what to aim for every week and for me that reduces a lot of anxiety as well just knowing what I should be doing yeah absolutely um I'm all under like my questions are in the wrong order now (laughs) because I go on too many tangents (laughs) No, well, it, it hasn't really because it's kind of, it's been a lot of um things I want to talk about anyway, but I've just kind of changed the order because that's the way we've kind of gone in. Um, But like stuff like tempo and time and attention, how, like, do you think that's important? Like, why would you say that's important? Yeah, definitely. It's, it, again, it's another tool that we utilize for a client. Um, For example, a beginner, we might program much slower tempos because, they need to develop the skill of control um, because if they're just flinging a weight around, uh, we know, for example, if you're using a cable and you're doing like how the bros do the low row cable where they're just kind of yanking it back and forth. If you look at the weight stack in that instance, there's times where it's flying up and down to a point where it's weightless, that if you actually use like a, a luggage scale or something like that to calculate the weight of it, it's weightless at that time because they're using something called inertia um, which is resistance to change. So basically they're allowing the load to do the, the work for them. Mm-hmm. So by slowing down the tempo and doing things at a slower pace, we're removing or reducing that inertia as much as possible. And we are controlling the load and that makes sure that we are using the muscle we're trying to use to move the load how we want to move it. And um, so that's why we would consider tempo. We might use faster tempo sometimes, like say, for example, we're performing an exercise at a 4-1, tempo and we fatigue. We might then start to increase the tempo and do it a bit quicker to try and rinse a bit more out of the set. Um, when we can't go as slowly, we might start to move a bit quicker and use inertia to our advantage. So a lot of people think inertia is bad, um, but inertia is not bad. We just need to have an awareness of it and, and how we utilize it to our, our advantage. Um, but we do want to try and, especially for beginners, slow down tempo initially because it can be tempting to, you know, you've seen those 20 kg lateral raises where people are literally like flying them up and down. They look like birds. That's inertia. <laughs> I find it mad as well because you look at people in the gym and like you, you might be lifting something that's like quite light, but you're doing it properly. And then you look at people and they're looking at you like, oh, but they're lifting so much heavy weight. But you watch them and you're like, what are you doing, man? Like You're yeah. going to stop doing that. I used to get like really self-conscious of how weak I thought I was um, until I realized that like bodybuilding is not about how strong you are. Like, yes, it's cool to say, oh, I can do X amount of plates on this, um, Mm -hmm. but it's way more about how you move it. Um, And at the end of the day, as they always say, you know, on stage, you don't have dumbbells or barbells with you. You only have your physique and however you built your physique is is the way it is. So um, you have to do what's right for you. So I kind of, like when I'm judging like I don't look at people on stage and go sorry can we just um can can I just know how heavy you squat please yeah sure what what were your pbs this week (laughs) was your pb this week oh yeah you've won then well done well done (laughs) yeah exactly and that's the most important thing just to to realize that it's not about strength like yes strength might be a byproduct of training but at the end of the day we want to maximize our hypertrophy goals. And that means contracting tissues as much as possible. And that means not using as much load as we like to, because if we use all the load, we're going to use all the compensation from the rest of our body to help out. And that's not what we want. We want the targeted stimulus. 
Yeah, and actually hitting the muscle that we're aiming to hit, not just like some other muscle that's getting involved because we're swinging it about. Yeah, and that's another reason why we use machines is because say you're doing a barbell bent over row, the amount of muscles that you have to work to maintain the position of the bent over um, and to manage everything to keep you intact before you do the row. Whereas if you did like a chest supported machine row, all you really have to think about is your lats and moving and using your lats to move your arm. That's all you need to think about. So it's a more direct challenge um, to the target muscle that you want to work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, quick fire facts. Your most overrated and underrated training fact or thing. Oh my God. Fact. Fact or thing. Like, I don't know, like exercise or training method or I don't know. Most overrated thing. Oh my God, I have no idea. <laughs> That's really hard. I would say underrated would definitely, well, they're probably not underrated anymore, but things like having a cuff yeah, or handles are just really things that are quite inexpensive. Um, A cable machine, like literally, if you wanted to do your whole training plan on a cable machine, you could like get a close stack cable machine. Yeah. If, you have a, if you're planning on a home gym, get a close stack cable machine until you want to expand. And that is all you really need to do. Um, so that would be the most underrated, I would say, because I think people don't utilize them as much as they could do. Um, and cuffs um, are so cheap. Like, you don't need, like, the most expensive, yeah. happiest, whatever your favorite Instagram influencers using cuffs. Like, literally, I bought mine, like, years ago for, like, a five off Amazon. Same yeah, one. you can get a cheap pair for now. And then if you want to down the line, line invest in a, a bigger pair than you can. Oh, I know. My most overrated thing in the gym is a barbell hip thrust. I just think they are so overrated because I know they were invented in inverted commas because I don't think that's true um, by Brett Contreras, who's the glute guy. And he says that the hip thrust is the equivalent of a bench press for the glutes. And I just think that is the most reductionist. Our hip thrust here. Yeah, a barbell hip thrust. He says yeah. it's basically like doing a chest press, but like a glute with your glutes. Um, and if he had any idea of how mechanics worked um, and where the forces were at play, the resultants coming in, he would completely retract his statement. So I just think it's the most like overhyped exercise ever. It's a pain in the ass to set up. Oh, I just can't bother. It's just, yeah, it, it hurts your hips. Like I've had to, but when I had it in my plan, like last season, I had to buy that one, a more massive pad, like the really thick one. Cause I I was using like two pads at the gym and it wasn't enough to for my hips. Um, So it's a pain to set up. It's a pain to do because it really hurts your hips. If you have any sort of like PMS symptoms as a female and you're putting that load on your belly, it is not pleasant. Or if you've had a big meal, it's also not pleasant. And it's just not necessary because the way it works with a barbell hip thrust, you're actually not putting the mass that you place on your hips in form of the barbell becomes a part of you. So it's not that the it's not that it's directly over the glutes at the point. It's the fact it becomes a part of you and makes you heavier. Um, so the forces are all actually coming up through the foot and through the shoulders where your contact points are um, with the bench and the floor. Um, but the actual barbell itself is not like a bench press for the glutes. I just think it just drives me mad. So yeah, girls, if you don't want to do a hip thrust, it's unnecessary. You have to load it up so much. Just do a 45 degree hip extension. Like it seems like it's a simpler exercise and it's more of a quote unquote isolation, but I promise you, you will get more bang for your buck and more stimulus from a 45 degree hip extension than you would from a hip thrust. Also do the classic Davidge hip extension with the cable. Also a great movement for the glutes. Um, but yeah, or like even like a machine hip thrust is just easier to um, to put together. Because... I mean, then saying that it depends on the machine because some glutes are on the machine, but they are like typically easier to set up. So I'd say if you're go if you want to do a hip thrust movement, yeah. use a machine if you want. Um, but I don't think it's necessary to do a hip thrust movement in general. Um, but yeah, that's just an over exercise for me. Going back to kind of like competing and tips, what tips would you give someone competing for the first time? Ooh, I would say first of all get a coach, like a coach with actual credentials and results and, you know, experience putting people on stage. 
that first get a posing coach don't try and do your posing yourself because I tried to learn it on YouTube for the first time and I would highly not recommend it um don't isolate yourself like I know it can be so tempting to just shut yourself off say no to all occasions because it's easier and to just stay in your own bubble but it can be very lonely especially as a first timer when you don't know anyone yet like myself and Molly we've been through the rings of it a few years now so we have lots of people in the community but if you're starting out and you don't know anyone it's lonely enough as it is so make sure you go to social occasions even if you can only have a diet coke even if you can't eat just go and get yourself out there and like find people that are first timers as well make friends with them go to events um, like posing seminars that are group posing seminars they they work wonders like I went to Marnie's one a few weeks ago and pretty much everyone was a first timer except for me and they all got to know each other and it was just like really nice to have that community feel um, and yeah also like bikini rental service like Georgia Rose's one is just ridiculous like so you can not pay a fortune for your very first bikini because I, I got mine personally made for my first time uh, but if they we didn't have rental services around then but if you did then do that also like make use of the fact that places like compact to get your stage jewelry like when I started Jasmine had just started compact so I was yeah. lucky um but if you dm them they'll always help you or if you dm dm any of us athletes if you need any advice please do like make the most of the athletes that represent those companies because we're always here to help and we can give our own tips and advice and recommendations for things like that um so I think I think that's pretty much it. Like, don't be afraid to ask questions to people who have the experience, who have competed before. Ask them what mistakes they made. Ask them what went well, what they would recommend doing. Any tips, advice? Like, we're always here to help. Um, so yeah, I think don't that's do what your own I'm tan either. Sorry, don't do your own tan either. No, I literally I've been competing. I've done twelve shows now, and it was only on my eleventh show that I did my base coat. And to be honest, I am converted now to the base coat, but I'll still get the top coat done. But I would say for your first few shows, don't chance it. Um, do get your tan done. If you're not good at makeup, invest in a good makeup artist. Invest in a good hairstylist if you want. Um, don't spend money on getting your nails done because you can just buy press-ons. That's what I do. Um, get your nail. Get you can get your toenails done. Well, you can't. You can invest if you want. Get toenails done. I get my nails done. If you get, but if you get your toenails done a neutral color, they will last the whole season. You know, whereas like. I, when I was doing shows by the by my second show my nails were starting to come out like to grow out already so I just use press-ons after that but I'm just saying like if you want to minimize costs spend money on the stuff that means a lot like your coaching and your posing coaching and the, obviously registration and tan but don't spend money on frivolous things that the judges aren't going to notice like don't get diamante heels as a first timer because it's not going to make a difference to the judges like Molly will tell you like she doesn't even look at your feet so she I, doesn't care <laughs> I don't have time yeah um, and I actually didn't do my toenails at all last year, year before, whenever it was last Yeah, me. they don't look at your feet. Like, you don't train your feet, so no one's going to know. <laughs> I, was like, I think I took nail varnish with me. So I was like, I'm going to get there, like, get my tan done, chill out, paint my toenails. I never did it. Yeah. Just went on with. The only thing I think with nails, like, I know some people ask, like, should you have long nails? When you're in a bikini pose, I think it just looks a bit more elegant when you kind of have your hands, like, softly like this. To have a bit of length to the nail but obviously yeah. that's just my preference um and I don't think that really makes a difference either um as long as it's not something really loud and like I'd get it like if you're gonna get a color get a color that kind of goes with your bikini I would say either go for like a nude or a pale pink I usually go for pink and sparkly because I'll go with everything or yeah something that will match your bikini I so I went with I've always had blue bikinis to be fair and I've always gone with blue and silver nails or with a bit of um a bit of blue glitter or a bit of like silver gems or something like nothing too yeah too much but I wouldn't like if you've got like a blue bikini and don't know when red nail varnish because it will just look a bit weird yeah mm -hmm. so yeah and also these are other things that like you can ask us and we can help you because we've done videos for that on the compact website or on the youtube I think um Jasmine went through a whole thing Jasmine and Lucy where they styled me from head to toe when they told me what earrings to wear what bracelets were going to match to my shoes and like it's a really good practical example of like how they would set you up from top to toe to be yeah. stage ready and that matters as well depending on like what bikini you've got as well because if you've got like little connectors on your bikini or if you've got like massive connectors on your bikini that's then gonna affect like how your jewelry is or how you have your hair done mm. it's gonna affect how your jewelry sits as well so there's a lot of things about that but like you said like Go for the, get your physique right, get your posing right. Yeah. 
and then yeah kind of everything else will go and get a bikini that fits you properly as well yeah yeah and if it don't keep it simple everywhere else and just bring your best physique and wear a good fitting bikini the rest of it like matters very little compared to that and like the tan obviously um and also like buy extra show shine because they usually don't put enough on you before you go on stage. They just spray like random dogs. Yeah, I bought my own and then just spraying yourself makes such a difference because they'll just like give you a bit spritz or else they'll forget you. I've had mine forgotten about before. Uh, so bring your own show shine if you can and give yourself a nice uh, spritz. So nice and I'm shiny. Not gonna lie, I'm getting some for the girls this season because yeah, last time I was a couple and I was just like, you, you just spray dots on them. Like that's. Yeah, also you can use it for photo shoots as well. So it's a win win. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I don't know if you've got any questions on Instagram. I haven't actually looked at mine. No, we put it up kind of late yesterday, didn't we? I have one question here. So it says, how do you make a leg press more glute focused? So this is obviously going to depend on the individual and their foot placement, but we basically want it so that there's a greater challenge to the hip extensors or like the glutes um, where you can. So first of all, I would go for the machine choice first. I would use a machine that has something called a four bar linkage system. And if you if you type in Cybex squat press, into google you will see what i mean there's like two kind of um rails that are attached to each other it looks like a bit of a, a long rectangle um and that means that the foot plate angle changes as you go through the movement which means the profile um makes it harder for the glutes as you push through um so that's a good example and also just reclining the seat back as much as you can will give it more of a hip extensor focus challenge because you will be in more of a hip extended position um and yeah, I would say try not to go too wide or too narrow or too high up on the top or too too low. One thing I would focus on instead of like where your actual foot placement is, just finding a comfortable comfortable position there is when you're pressing through, focus on pulling your feet back towards you because this is going to change what we call the resultant and is going to give you a bigger challenge to the glutes. The same if you're doing a hip thrust, if you are in the middle of a hip thrust and focus on kind of trying to pull your feet back, the way friction works, it's going to give you a more of a glute focused challenge. Um, so be the thing. So I don't recommend necessarily like high and narrow for glutes and or, or no high and wide for glutes and low and narrow for quads. So that's a bit of an old old wise tale at this point, but there's some considerations I'd make for that. Awesome. Any other questions you got or? Uh, is four working sets of a compound movement too many when following reps and reserve? So no, like for the amount of reps, like how long is a piece of string? It's going to completely depend. Um, We all have our own volume landmarks, what we call them. So the minimum amount we need to get results, the maximum amount we need to that we can recover from, uh, the maintenance amount we need just to maintain our muscle mass. And this is going to change depending on the person, depending on whether they're in a deficit or a surplus, depending on like how sensitive they are to volume at that time. But I would say as a general rule, for working sets isn't too much if you're managing your fatigue and your recovery um, and you're strategizing, you know, your intensity and your weight and your effort levels and everything like that. And you have the deload set when you need to. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say exactly how many how many sets someone needs because it's going to depend on them. So instead of thinking of sets per session, I think of sets per week per muscle group. So say you need 10 sets to minimally as minimum effective volume to grow your quads you can just distribute those 10 sets as and when throughout the week you know you don't have to do it on a leg day you can do it on you can do full body days you can do a mixture of upper lower days like I do delts every single session because that's how many that's how I get my volume in is by doing it every session so you don't look at the session in isolation you look at the week total volume and then you just distribute as and when you need and that's another question I got in my last question box is like what do I do when I miss a session like how do I get rid of the guilt and to me, like, it, you need to remove the emotion of missing a session because all you can really do is, okay, how much volume was I doing in that session? Let's just distribute that across the rest of the week. Job done. I've missed the session, but I haven't missed any volume. Um, and that's kind of a way to do it. Or just tag one of the exercises across each session. So you just make it up as you go. Um, the thing is, as well, I guess it's, it's like, what is your goal as well with that is, you know, if your goal is just to lose a bit of weight, if it's, if it's not, a massive massive goal like just move on to the next session and yeah. it's okay sometimes to miss a session and also this is why I have auto-regulated rest days I don't have set rest days in the week because sometimes I need to miss a session but that will just become my rest day so I'll still get the session in another day I think yeah I think I'm the same as you with that is that I've always had it just 
five sessions across a week mm -hmm. and then two rest days. Okay, that's what is going to need to work for me this week with regards to work, with regards to social life, in regards to everything else. Um, and then like you said or like you're feeling like really crap one day okay that's cool like we just won't train yeah. that day. we'll go back tomorrow yeah um and that is yeah a really good way to do it as well so just being okay with it sometimes yeah just I think the basis is the way science works is I think the more I've learned and the more knowledge I developed and the more courses I've done the more I've realized that it's it's your big rocks that are important and yes it's important to learn about the pebbles and the sand and everything like that but if you get your non-negotiables in that is 90% of the work and if you remove the emotional attachment and you just allow results and you allow research and you allow knowledge to dictate where you go not your own you know personal experience or your anecdote or your own emotion that's what's going to get you results as soon as you divorce yourself from that uh, and just doing what works and what gets results and what is proven, that's when you're going to make the progress. Um, so don't let your own beliefs and your own morals and your own emotions hold you back uh, because that might be hindering your progress. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's the big rocks and it's the big things that we do every day. That is what's going to make the difference. If you miss one session every now and again, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. If something happens, it's out of your control. It's not the end of the world. If you miss one thing, one meal, whatever, it's what you do consistently. If you're consistently missing mm -hmm. sessions, if you're consistently missing meals, yeah, do you know what? That's going to make a difference. But if it's every now and again because something in life has got in the way, that's okay. And like, yeah. it happens to all of us. Yeah. Um, also, your body doesn't know that you've missed a session. Like, it doesn't It yeah. doesn't know that you have to train five times a week. Yeah. My clients don't look at me and go, um, excuse me, sorry. We were, yeah, we missed you missed my leg extension. <laughs> yeah. We didn't do enough sets in the leg extension this week. Yeah. I refused to grow out all year. Yeah. Um, so what's your one takeaway from today's podcast as well like the one thing you want people to take away um the one thing I want people to take away I think the one thing I wanted people to learn from me especially females is to not be afraid to learn and to ask questions and to seek help um because I think like the training world and the biomechanics world is very male dominated and I am often the only girl on a seminar, on a course, on a Zoom call, I'm often the only girl. I'm lucky that I've developed that um confidence that I'm happy to be the only girl and to stand my ground. Uh, but a lot of females are afraid to further their knowledge and education because it is such a male-oriented world. So don't be afraid to reach out to people who know more than you um, as mentors. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to challenge your coach um, about you know, why have you given me this exercise? Why am I doing it this way? What's the long-term plan? They should have answers for you. And don't be afraid to sign up to courses, even if you're a new girl, um, to research things yourself and to to make something of yourself. Because I think I would love to see more females in the industry. Um, and I just think you shouldn't shy away from it. Don't feel like you're too stupid because at one point everyone was a stupid one. You should, you should feel like you're the most stupid one in the room because all you have to go is up from there um I would hate to be in a room full of people who know less than me and who aren't as knowledgeable as me because that means I won't grow um so put yourself in those situations and and stand up stand tall and know that you deserve to be there as much as any other male yeah absolutely because I was saying this to someone the other day that it is such a male-dominated industry and when you think about like if you were to name like the top coaches in the UK yeah most of them are going to be male yeah they are like the ones that yeah. are you know considered the top coaches I should say yeah and like most I'd say yeah, most prep coaches would be male and also the sad thing is that male coaches have female and male clients but female coaches rarely have male clients um oh, okay. so it just doesn't work both ways which is a shame yeah and actually as well like you know we as women should be you know I, th I think as well as women sometimes you do feel a bit like you can't stand up and say it because it's it's so male dominated but actually like as women, like, we've got a lot to say. And, like, yeah. when it comes around, I know this isn't something we've actually talked about today, about, like, menstrual cycles and periods and all of that. Like, who's going to know that more than a woman? Because most mm. men, like, well, sorry, all men have never had a period. Yeah. Like, they don't, they're never going to completely understand it. So, actually, as women, like, you know, we do know what we're talking about. And we can yeah. we need to stand up for ourselves and say, like, actually, no, I know what I'm talking about. And just because I'm not a man who shouts really loud doesn't mean I'm necessarily as knowledgeable. Yeah, exactly. I agree. But yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add, Holly. 
and I don't think so just come and follow me if you want more information and advice and tips uh, my Instagram is at holly underscore physique collective so please do give me a follow um, if you want some no-nonsense advice and spitting the facts um, I also have a podcast myself it's called Elevate HD where I get on guests like Molly does uh, speaking about their expertise and wisdom uh, it's a good way for me to learn as well for you to learn um, so that's available on Apple, Spotify and YouTube. Um, I also offer online coaching. So there's a link in my bio if you want to apply or inquire. Um, I also have mentorship positions if you would like to be mentored by me and you'd like to learn more. Um, that is available as well. We also have a seminar coming up in March, the 4th of March, the Physique Collective in Birmingham, All Things Advanced Contest Prep. Uh, so if you're interested in that, make sure you sign up for that. And that's available on physiquecollective.com. I'm sure it's going to be a really good seminar. I'm looking forward to it. I'm nervous. Oh no, you'll be amazing. You'll be amazing. But yeah, it's absolutely awesome to have you on anyway, Holly. And like, thank you so much. And I know that you've just busted loads of myths and explained loads of stuff to people. So I'm sure loads of people take so much away from this. So yeah, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. If you have listened and enjoyed it, please share it on your stories, tag me and Holly in it, um, and follow you've got to follow it you've got to do some stuff <laughs> some crap I don't really know like I'm not really very good at this I do everything <laughs> enjoy it <laughs> but yeah thank you so much bye